G'day everyone and welcome to a late edition of the Weekend Wrap brought to you by Crowcast. Apologies to everyone for the technical issues we had yesterday courtesy of Microsoft, unfortunate, but uh, we got through them and uh, here we are. So let's not stuff around any further, let's get straight into it, shall we? Welcome to an Easter Monday edition of the Weekend Wrap. Uh, as mentioned in the intro, apologies for the messing around last week, uh, yesterday I should say, can't be helped. But uh, we're all here now, well I think we're all here now, uh, some of us are here now, uh, particularly Mako. How you going, Mac? <laughs> no, I'm pretty good mate, it's been a, a long drawn out uh, round this uh, particular round but we finally got to the end of it and we finally got a show. A roller coaster, just a roller coaster of emotions. We like to, you know, just bring out our uh, listeners on a bit of a ride, you know. <laughs> oh, well, we'll give them a good one tonight. Well, let's hope so. Uh, Nikki's not with us yet. I don't know where she is. She said she'd be here, but uh, she's uh, AWOL at this stage. But considering the first session is yours anyway, mate, then, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, we don't need to mess around any further. We can just get straight into it. All right, mate. Well, hang on. Okay. Oops. <laughs> oh, you're a funny man, Macca. <laughs> right. Okay, mate. We started off with the lines, didn't we? Uh, just squeaking over the line in the end by seven points over the, the Magpies, fifteen eight ninety eight to uh, fourteen seven ninety one. A pretty good game. This one. It was. I think it was an excellent game. Actually, it was uh, very what, what, what I'd call a very watchable game. Um, you know, I thought Collingwood were very brave in defeat. Actually, Fiend. Um Brisbane had that just that little edge in class. But uh, the interesting uh, thing at the start was that Collingwood uh, tagged Neil with uh, Pendlebury. Yes, and it did, and it did work in the first quarter. No doubt about that. But uh, Neil was too classy for that to keep going. And I. And Pendlebury looked very tired at half time when Neil ran him off his legs and yeah, had four, had he had fourteen touches in that second quarter and then uh, Pendlebury wasn't on wasn't doing that after half time. Yeah, but he was uh, a bit bugger. He'll keep going. Oh, he he really comes off the ground, you know. He comes off only for a very very short burst, but uh, but really, uh, I think Brisbane won at the second quarter when they kicked six goals to two and. Um, because uh, after half time, you know, Collingwood had a marginally winning half, but uh, you know, it was a close game and a good game. And as I said, very watchable. Uh, Lockie Neal, Zorko, Danaher for uh, the Brisbane's, who I think are a possible challenger for the flag, and uh, Crispin Dugowie for the Collingwood. Yes. Well, let's move on. Uh... We had the Bulldogs uh, cleaning up north, 21-13-139 to 11-5-71. The Dogs there by 68 points. And uh, 
North, after showing a little bit of promise early, have uh, really probably exposed where they're at at the moment, I think. Yep, Nikki's here, so good evening, Nikki. Good day, Nick. Hey, yeah. Well, back to the to the my report. Well, Good Friday is associated with crucifixion, and uh, we watched two of them on uh, Good Friday. <laughs> Seriously, it was oh, two man, worst gold. Well done. Yep, yeah, two worst games you could possibly put on. Um, <laughs> we watched that Bulldogs in uh, North Melbourne. Look, the, the game is over at quarter time. Seven and a half goals up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, North Melbourne slogged away and they boxed away in the second and third quarters before the dogs thought, oh, we'll, we'll play a bit of footy again. Okay. Yeah. And they went on to, what was it, 68 points, I think it was. Um, uh, Norton and Waitman up to the they got five goals each. And uh, But Smith running like a mad hare all around the ground and nobody tagging him whatsoever. I couldn't believe it. 43 disposals. And uh, it's a very strong midfield when you throw him in and allow him to run around like an unregistered dog. That makes it even better for them. Well, um, that's the thing. You have to beat the Bulldogs in the, in the square and um, it's a problem that we're going to have next week. But um, North didn't really address their playmakers at all in that game. They didn't. And... Yeah, the Bulldogs' soft area is their defence, and um, uh, if you know if you can sort of half break even in the middle, mm. you've got a bit of a chance. But uh, uh, Horn Francis, he, he had eighteen disposals for North Melbourne. He's pretty reasonable, and uh, Simpkinland was probably their best player. Yeah, that's probably a fair call, but disappointing for North. Uh, all right, uh, Sydney. <clears throat> pardon me, predictably, I don't know why it says Swans by 11 points there, it was more like, buddy, what's that, 42, 63 points, good on you, but, uh, oops, God, there well, 18, 13, 21 to 9, 4, yeah, West Coast got a little bit of excuse, I mean, they've had a lot of COVID and COVID con- close contacts and players injured, etc., uh, but it was a massacre in the first half, it, a dead set crucifixion. And uh, I mean, Sydney, uh, eight goals, 10 up at half time. And um, yeah, you know, West Coast, actually, they actually fought it out in the second half. And um, they had a lot of players who hadn't played a lot of footy who were out of touch. Um, and they sort of found a little bit of touch as the game went on. And, you know, they might improve on that. Um, they've, had a, they've had a horrible run. I mean, their Premier didn't help by not allowing COVID in the state. And, all the other states have had COVID and masses of it, and they're starting to get it now, and which uh, puts them at a disadvantage. Yeah. But uh, uh, from a pure probably... business point of view, it's a write-off of a season in a season that you you want to be catching up with crowds and all the rest of it, and their crowds are going to drop off with this sort of effort. And, it, you know, as you say, it's, it's not really something of their making, but uh, they're going to suffer West Coast as a result. Oh, very, very much so. And, uh, for, you know, for Sydney Mills and uh, Heaney, they were, they were excellent for Sydney. Um, Laddams, uh, he, he actually rucked very, very well, and Port Adelaide would certainly like him back now. I mean, they've got pick 12 for him, which they I think they used to pick up Josh Thin. But, uh, yeah, Laddams played very well in ruck. And uh, for West Coast, uh, well, the two, they just, as I said, not much to mention there. Uh, St Kilda 39.97 over the Suns 9.761 26 points there and uh, 
Um, St Kilda just putting putting that one in the bank, more or less, really. Yeah, a fairly even first half, and I thought that uh, Gold Coast made a little bit of a fist of the first half, and then in uh, but still Crouch and uh, Sinclair were dominating the midfield, and in the second half. Uh, just too much uh, for the Gold Coast to withstand. I thought Toot Miller was outstanding for Gold Coast for 32 disposals. And I mean, you've got to take your hat off to that guy. He plays in a side that usually loses, but he gives 110% if, if that's possible to do that. Probably not mathematically. Um, but uh, I did get a little bit of a laugh. Rory Atkins came on that, got a couple of touches. Um, to think that we actually got a good draft pick for him. Yeah. He... He is a dead set flop, absolute flop. Talking about flops, Isaac Rankin, uh, seven disposals for one goal and doesn't do much at all. I certainly wouldn't be chasing him at the end of the, end of the year. Not, for not, me. A, not, as, not as it's going at the moment, mate. It's uh, oh, you just you just wonder where all that talent went, you know. Well, I think they he after his first year. They put that extension of a contract for another couple of years on top. And I think he went on about half a million a year. Mm. And he's a, he's a kid that's just happy to sit there and get half a million a year and do very little for it. That's what it looks like. Do you think it's that? Well, he, he used to be looking like a player that was interested before that, um, certainly in his first year, but he's done nothing since his first year. No, well, I guess not. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think there's more to it, Macca. I really do. Well, they could be, but I'm only talking about what I see on the surface and what I see is something I don't like. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know where to go with it, really. Ah, fair enough. We'll move on then. <laughs> uh, it, it, oh, it's just one of those things. I... He's got so much talent. We all know he's got so much talent, but I think whether it's a whether it's a destination thing or whatever, you know, we've got a nice little spammer in chat at the moment. So uh, you talk about the Melbourne Demons beating the Giants by uh, a fair bit, and I'll get rid of this idiot. Well, actually, was a spanking by the Premiers, who very much look like they will be the Premiers again this year. Um, just on current form, they they do look a class above everybody else. Um, you know, a couple couple of goals in it uh, at half time, but the, the you know um, they just went in overdrive in the third quarter, uh, and then just just made a mockery of the game. Really, uh, Gorm is absolutely magnificent in ruck and forward. You'd love to have it. I look at O'Brien and I look at Gorm and I think Jesus, they're not the same animal, are they? I mean. Gordon is absolutely outstanding. Uh, but he's very well supported too. By, they've got Luke Jackson as their backup ruck, and you'd be happy to have him as your first ruck. He's a beauty. Um, and, you know, Oliver and Petrarca in the middle, they're very good. Uh, yeah, they just then just creeped along to 11-goal winning. And, I, and I, I just can't see anybody beating him for the flag unless they tend to fade a little bit, get overconfident. <clears throat> it's a long season, Macca. It's a long season. It is, but just I just think they're cruising at the moment. They still look too good. Yeah. Look, there's. I don't think there's a few teams that aren't at their best yet. I think Brisbane have got a little way to go. I think um, 
Um, talking about the Bulldogs are just starting to hit their straps. I think there's a couple of other teams there still uh, that can challenge. <clears throat> I wouldn't even write off Sydney at this stage um, as a challenger, um, but certainly Melbourne have, have, have you know just picked up where they left left off, um, and you can't begrudge them favouritism at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah. No, it's it's a long season, um, and you've also got you know what's going to happen if they do get injuries, like other teams have gotten injuries and had to cope with. Um, I thought there was a really nice breakdown on on the couch. Uh, tonight where they actually showed like basically the way that Melbourne will actually structure up and how hard their midfield runs to get in line with where the ball is. So they've always got an outlet kick and how they spread and open up the ground. And it's exactly the same game plan they had last year. We were able to, our team was able to actually counter that um, for a while. But it also showed how poor GWS's midfield is, that they just jog along. And don't run hard we both have, ways. We have said forever and a day that GWS are a team that lack heart, lack spirit. Yep. And they went as far as they were going to go based on pure talent. Um, but uh, they've always been found wanting in crunch games. Always. Absolutely, fine. And, um, the me- and the media is still talking up about how Leon Cameron's not really under yeah. the pump and that they are... Um, possibly going to give him another extension, but he's the one who's put it on hold. I'm sorry, who's running that club? He'll be dead set gone at the end of the year, no doubt about that. Well, dead set gone. Uh, it's a simple case of the AFL have got to protect their investment, and if they don't think that Cameron can make them competitive um, and contenders, uh, which, God, how many bloody concessions do they want, then, um, you know, they'll replace him, and there'll be a few people around Al Clark's on the obvious one, although I don't know whether he'd take it. Um, you know, there's always Paul Ruse in the wings, there's Ross Lyon, there's a few coaches around um, with credentials and, yeah, I don't think he will. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, Carlton. <laughs> uh, someone in the chat pointed out my team is, uh, my T-shirt is black and white and says Everlast, uh, which is very appropriate at the moment for the pair. Um <laughs> Yeah, Carlton, Carlton unintended there, but I'll take it. Uh, Carlton fourteen ten ninety four, hanging on by the skin of their teeth over a uh, fast finishing port thirteen thirteen ninety one, three points. Um, the power zero and five. Well, certainly uh, a very game of two halves. Um, uh, Carlton had no uh, Patrick Cripps, which has been their driving force in the middle. Port had no Ollie Wines, been. But no light, no light it, which was a pretty important factor. Um, oh, he's been Hayes, sticking it up anyway, mate. Well, he has actually, and um, and he's. Uh, I think he's uh, success in Hayes. So unfit for a guy that's supposed to be playing at AFL level. The guy was puffed out after he ran a hundred meters. Yeah, shocking. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that's why they're And Aliyah, Aliyah back, and uh, yeah, he was very ordinary, but. Uh, I thought we were absolutely pathetic in the first half. Absolutely I, I was pathetic. Shocked. I was shocked how bad Aaliyah was. He got absolutely towed up by um, McKay. Well, he did, and um, I mean, the, the, you know, Kerno and McKay in the forward line, they, they were they were. That's a very very handy pair to have up there. They can both take strong marks. They can both kick long goals, and uh, but um, yeah, in the first half, I just you know. 
I, I was dreaming that this could be a real big, big thrashing of port. Was, you know, make, make all of Adelaide happy. Um, but after half-time, in for Port's credit, they did fight back, and uh, I think they kicked six goals to one in the, in, uh, the third quarter. And uh, then they gave us a bit of a fright in the last quarter. But uh, I, I thank God, uh, in the end, uh, uh, well, Carlton limped to the line and got there. But, gee, they, tell you, they were just about knocked out, weren't they? And uh, But oh, they, they just pan- you know, You know, um, Mac, they just panicked. They're still a relatively young team, Carlton, uh, in terms of knowing how to win. Uh, and I think when Port... Um, kicked it up a notch. I think Carlton just panicked a bit. Um, that's something that Voss can address, I think. I don't think it was Port running over the top of them from a fitness perspective. I think it was purely they went into panic mode. Uh, they made some fundamental errors. They didn't structure up properly. Uh, they didn't try to change the tempo of the game, you know, and Port just came at them. And Port were desperate because they certainly didn't want to go zip five. Um, and when, I... they got a, when they got a sniff... Um, you know, what momentum's like. Uh, so Carlton made a few errors. Uh, Voss probably made a couple of tactical errors or didn't communicate well enough with his players on the field, but uh, thank God they hung on. I think you summed up very well because um, they they weren't doing the same thing they were doing in the first half. And as you said, yeah. I, I think they did panic and uh, they had a bit of pressure on them and um, they... There were so many wrong options being chosen, which yeah. did, which uh, backfired on them as well. Um, you know, for Port, I thought Butters was outstanding, and uh, Rosie played his best game of the year. Sam Powell Pepper got a kick, and uh, Robbie Gray always gets a goal or two. Um, Burton was outstanding in the back lines. Uh, but, you know, Kenny said after the game that they can still make the finals. Well, Kenny, you're a bit of a knob. I, I really don't. You kick with, first of all, you got told so we're going to win the bloody grand final this year, and Koshy's here saying, "Yeah, yeah, we will, we will." Every year it's the same old bullshit. Now you're talking about making the final um, zero and five. You just might make the finals, but you know, be scrambling. But there's no flag. There, it's it's pretty no funny. You, you know what? You heard what he said. He said, "Oh, you know, uh, whenever it was, whatever year, um, you know, we started five zip, and then we lost the next five, and you know, we still made finals." Well, the thing is, they'd already banked five wins. I, the difference this time is that they haven't banked any wins yet. You know, it's easy to recover from uh, a five-game lo- five losing streak when you're already five up. Yeah, I was going to make that same point, thing because it's very, very relevant. This game, they haven't, they haven't won one bloody game yet. Uh-huh. And it's a, just uh, for curiosity, uh, who's the biggest soft cock in Port Adelaide? Is it, is it Motlop, is it Finlayson, or is it Marshall? They are oh. so soft. I would say Motlop simply because of his experience. Uh, Marshall's a twig. Um, Finlayson's just not a great player. Um, emergency glass kind of player. But Motlop's an experienced player, played in, in premiership teams. Um, he's better, He should be better than that. I'm going for Marshall. I'm going for Marshall. Um, one thing I would say is uh, Connor Rosie, um, I thought he turned back the clock and... And he had a very good first year. Not a very long uh, clock. Why are we Why are we talking so much about Port? Let's move on. Uh, so the Dockers, 16-11-107, beat Essendon 8-11-59 by 48 points. Frio just starting to um, uh, show their credentials, I think, Matt. Sitting, yeah, sitting second on the ladder at the moment, mate. Um, 
And, uh, well, an, you know, an eight-goal win by Freo over Essendon sort of said a, said a lot about Freo, but made me feel very irritated about our loss to Essendon. And, I mean, how the hell did we get beaten by that lot? Oh, no, and, mate, you know, you know footy. Footy's one on the day. Um, and, um, you know, it's match-ups. It's, it's, we probably didn't have the same level of... Uh, I don't know. Look, uh, it's especially close games. They just won on the day. Frio played very, very well. I don't think you should underplay that. Don't forget, Frio no, beat I... us, beat, beat us comfortably as well. So uh, we're probably on a no, par you... with Essendon. Frio beat us by a point. Oh, that's right. It was it was Collingwood that beat us comfortably, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, but anyhow, um, close game up to half time, and Frio ran away with it after half time, and. Uh, one by eight goals. Tavern had a full uh, field day at full forward, kicking seven. Uh, Brayshaw's continued strong form on the ball. And they, they really are a side on the rise. And um, I reckon they'll play finals this year, Fiend. Uh, oh, they'll play got... finals? Are, are they, have they got enough depth in that squad yet? I'm not sure. Uh, not to go all the way, but uh, they've got a good mix of experience and youth mm. at the moment. Um, and, yeah, I, I, just, I just think they will make the finals. Um, Essendon, well, you know, there's a bit of talk. The coaches and a little bit of trouble there if they, if they don't get moving. And uh, yeah, Benny oh, Rutley be this his second season. I know, but you know what they like in Victoria, mate. They're vicious. Well, not. It depends who you are, I think. Anyway, well, yeah, he's a, true. He's a South Australian. That makes it worse for him. Yeah. Well, truck might go and. Uh, Resurrect Port if Essendon boot him out. Anyway, uh, and then today, the traditional Easter Monday clash between Geelong and Hawthorne, and happily it was Hawthorne, 14-8-92, getting up over Geelong, 11-14-80, 12 points in the end, despite the efforts, again, of the umpires in that game, and I know we had a ride in ours, but if you want to talk about a team that perennially gets a run from the umpires, at crucial moments, it's Geelong. Me too. No, oh. no, no doubt about that thing. Uh, but you know, Hawthorne, they're a funny side. When they come out with uh, all guns firing at the beginning of a game, they can keep going for the whole for the whole game. And you could tell today that it was going to be a very good contested game, and the weather helped to make it contested because it was a little bit slippery. Mm. Um, so therefore, the, you know, the, the seed, the team that went in the hardest and prepared to work to get the ball, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I thought I thought Hawthorne outworked Geelong and um, Joe Newcomb, who irritates me. He was another guy that's taken one of these mid-season draft or pre-season drafts. Yeah, he got yeah. taken out of Box Hill, didn't he? Yep, we take yeah. Benny Davis and they take Joe Newcomb. No, was, no, 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 no. We took Paddy Parnell. We took Paddy Parnell. I'm being vicious just to use that excuse. No, but you're Matt. being silly. Uh, you're being silly. Like let's we're a we're a serious show, Macca. <laughs> I know, but I haven't avoided some of our takings, that's all. Uh, Nobody told me. What? Keep going, Mac. What, Keep going, Mac. Okay. Um, anyhow. Uh no, coming back to the game, I thought that uh overall Hawthorne just outworked you long and uh uh 
not much more to say than that, really. Uh, I mean, as you say, I thought the umpires gave Geelong a pretty good run. And one stage I thought that was going to work because uh, Geelong did actually hit the front. But uh, but the Hawks kept going and uh, just too good. Look, so, the, thing, the thing that's got to happen is that the, the umpires have got to actually look at tape and understand what Tommy Hawkins does. Right? Because push it in the back all the time, mate. Push he continually fools them. And you, I'm not sure whether the umpires actually look at players, but if they don't, they should, because that was ridiculous. And it's, it, you know, we're starting to lose count of the amount of times that Tommy Hawkins gets a free at crucial moments by sucking umpires in. And, um, you know, it was worse than the bloody um, Nankervis one against Tex. He, he, fair, he fair did a swan dive, Tom Hawkins. Uh, he's done yeah, the same I'll... against Brisbane. He's done the same against us in the past. Um, and surely the umpires need to look at players that do this and understand when they're on the ground that it's likely that a bloke's going to dive. That was a dead set dive. Um, but uh, just summing up, I thought Newcomb and Sicily were outstanding for the Hawks and uh, yeah. Stewart and Selwood for Geelong. Yeah, very good. All right, let's have a look at the ladder, and we actually have a ladder that's complete uh, for the round. We have Melbourne on top, uh, game clear on 20 points. We have Frio, Brisbane, St Kilda, Sydney and Carlton all on four wins. Uh, Geelong and Hawthorne in the eight with three wins. Uh, Collingwood, Western Bulldogs, Richmond, Gold Coast, pardon me, and Adelaide on two wins. Uh, Giants, Essendon, West Coast and North on one win. And the power, the strongest team in the competition, holding everyone else up with uh, zero wins and a shitty percentage. So uh, uh, they might break their drought next week against West West Coast Eagles. Uh, <laughs> but I'd, I'd love to see the Eagles get out. Wouldn't that be funny? <laughs> yeah, well, I think the West Coast will play better than they did last, uh, last week because their second half, as I said, was their strongest half and they had several players coming back who hadn't played for several weeks or hadn't really played at all probably for the season. Yeah. And uh, there were four of them and they're all good players and they all uh, started to find a bit of form. I would love them put Port down. It would be funny. Anyway, uh, as everyone's saying in the chat, let's talk about the Crows. And I must say thanks, everyone, for joining us on a Monday night in Discord and on YouTube after we got rid of the riffraff on YouTube. Um, some people must have more time than on their hands than I do because who could be bothered trolling another team's bloody podcast? But anyway, um, but, yeah, if you want to get around us on um, Patreon, go to patreon.com forward slash AFL Crowcast. We appreciate every bit of assistance. If you're watching on YouTube, give us a like and a subscribe. We're trying to get that number up so that we can give you some more community content on YouTube. So uh, spread the word. Now, Mac. Um, yeah. Bro, it's 15-11-101. Richmond, 12-10-82. Crows, 19 points. Um, probably the the best team effort, I think, uh, Macca and Nicky, that um, we've put on for quite a while, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, I was actually looking through each and every player's contribution towards the game, and there's probably only one or two that you might have some sort of criticism about, but I thought it was our best team effort for the event. It's a very good statement. Nick, how'd and, you say it? Not, well, same as that, and the criticism will 
will just be for a couple of moments but would be contrasted with some positives that they did for the rest of the game. It it was very much a a massive um, team effort and I worried um, about the ins um, and certain people that we kind of wanted to get dropped didn't. But the way they structured the team up, I think it actually worked very well against Richmond. And it was a case of this is what we saw Nick's in the first year where he would pick teams to counter who we were playing. And I liked that. And we hadn't seen it for a while. And I hope it's a turning point. I didn't see selection necessarily like that, but um, I think it worked out. Um, We certainly played a certain way, which I'm happy to talk about in a sec. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it was a team to beat Richmond necessarily, um, but that's okay. Um, let's just talk quickly about selection then, shall we? Um, because we, um, we only made one force change, Nikki, uh, and that was, um, Harry Schomburg. So there wasn't a lot of change there. Yellow. No, that's yep. yeah, and that's why I said I wasn't happy with some of the changes, but, yeah, but you some of the picked, other ones. You said we picked a team to beat doing. Richmond. I, I don't know whether that's necessarily the case. No, I can see that. that, that I, I'm not saying overall. I should have made that be clear. But for me, it was McAdam. I think putting McAdam in, which he he didn't really have an excellent game against North. Um, he wasn't a standout, but I think he was very much in there to really disrupt their defense. Mm. Um, well, as I mentioned, uh, Sandberry came in, which I was very happy about. Unfortunately, he came in for Harry Schoenberg, which I was very salty about. Um, hinge out, injured, um, and uh, they decided not to go light for light with Mitch. Um, and they actually played Braden Cook um, a little bit behind the ball um, to counter that at times, which I thought was an interesting and successful move. Um, it was. With Mitch out, and James Rogue was the sub. Um, <laughs> when, it, when I saw he'd been dropped, I thought, oh, he was crook, but uh, he obviously uh, had 12 minutes of footy in him at least. So... <laughs> I think the big, my biggest problem was uh, dropping Shuey. Um, after a decent second half against Port, they shoved him out in no man's land again when Sloney came back in last week. And uh, he, as a result, struggled to have an impact and then they dropped him. Um, and people say, yeah, he wasn't very good in the SANFL, but SANFL is a different level of footy when you've, when you've been playing AFL. It's not as structured. It's a bit scrambly and... Um, I reckon it takes a takes blokes a couple of weeks to get get into that type of football again, and I'm not surprised that we didn't do well. Um, I actually watched the SNFL. Did you? No, I didn't watch it. So the first half, it was very structured. It was very much our AFL game plan, and then they all got tired. and And Glenelg are a very good side, mm. um, and they ran over. He was absolute poo in that first half, considering how structured up we were. Harry, he's still trying too hard. Um, I think that's just the way it looks. And his disposal was still, uh, 
Um, so I'm not quite sure what's going on with him. Oh, it's a young player. You know, what's this, his third year? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Third year, second year in terms of, um, you know, being in the spotlight. Um, he's got some deficiencies. Um, I don't think his disposal has been seen as a deficiency. God, deficiency in the past. In fact, we've commented a lot of times how he's very good at putting blokes into space, um, particularly by hand. Um, but he looks a little bit hurried at the moment. Nick, you might be right. He might be trying a little hard. It might have just got into his head a bit. Um, so, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing that he has a few weeks in the twos. I don't know. But I, I'm not worried about Harry at all. No, he's in the long term, I think he's going to be a very good mid for us. Um he just had been going through a passage where his usage of the ball was pretty terrible, and that I think that's probably the reason that uh, why he found himself in the twos. And from what I heard, that he didn't move the again, he didn't use the ball very well again. Um, mm. I, I can't, so that's and that that's fair enough. Um, by uh, Nix, you know, I think Nix is saying there's a certain standard we must have, and. Um, Look, you you know you were playing reasonably well getting the ball, but you know he's giving it straight back to them. That's no good. So, um, want to apply that across the board something. though, wouldn't he? Be pun. He'd want to apply that across the board though if he wants to be fair about it. <laughs> Chase, Chase, Chase Jones is missing a lot of targets at the moment. Anyway, look, I don't want to get caught up in it. Um, Harry got dropped uh, rightly or wrongly. Um, I thought Berry had a good game. Shane McAdam made an impact. Um, so all up, it wasn't terrible. Billy Frampton survived at centre-half back. We'll talk about him. Um, but uh, overall, um, you know, it was probably a relatively predictable selection, I guess. Were you surprised by anything, Macro or Nicky? No, no, not at all. I, I did think we might have seen, like, the return of Murray. Um, for Hinge, mm. um, but as you said, the way that they he, he structured up and putting Cook a bit more behind the ball, um, and everything else, and I thought our defence actually played really well. Yeah, I I, I thought that uh, no, not, not Murray coming at all, Nick, uh, because of the fact that um, with Sloan moving out the middle, there's always going to be other players moving back into that. Uh, Backline situation, uh, more mobile players. So, and and, and I think um, uh, Cook, Cook was there at times, and he did very well. I thought Sloan was out there for moments, and he did, he was doing well as well. So, uh, um, I, I thought that Nick's actually coached very well in the terms of his usage of the players. So, um, yeah, overall, I thought we played pretty well, and the the, the usage of the players was good, um, and the selection was pretty good. But uh, any other one. Sorry, Mac, the only other one I thought might have been a sniff is Kieran Strawn, given the start to the season Riley O'Brien's had. Um, O'Brien, O'Brien probably redeemed himself in the second half, but, geez, he was stinky in the first half. But oh, yeah. uh, I thought I thought Kieran Strawn might have had a, had a dip. We'll talk about individuals in a minute anyway. Yeah, but that's, I think, well, you know, I was asked before, I said I thought everybody played, mostly everybody played. Well, they, somebody said, who didn't? And I said, well, I didn't think Rob did. He definitely got beaten by Nankervis. He played better in the second half. He played well, he did, well but in the second half, started taking some marks he, in the second half. Yeah, 
But he's anyway. not playing well. Oh, no. All right, let's look at some head-to-head stats, shall we? Uh, Alright, we Mac. Some head to head stats. Alrighty. Um, it was a reasonably, uh, apart from free kicks, <laughs> it was a, a funny old stats game. We are fairly uh, even in disposal. Well, we were 20 up on disposals, I guess, mostly in the kicking department. Um, it, that didn't really show up to me in the game. Um, inside 50s uh, were uneven, 51 to 61 in their favour. Um, we uh, went 50% for basically the whole match in terms of our scoring from inside 50, which was excellent. Um, both teams had a high disposal efficiency, which was good given the conditions were good. Free kicks. Now, I've watched this game twice, Nicky and Macca. And the second time I watched it, I tried to be as unbiased as I possibly could be. And mm-hmm. I didn't notice... Oh, well, okay. Let, I didn't notice many free kicks that we got that weren't there. I did notice some free kicks that Richmond could have got that didn't. I think that's a very good summary yeah. of it. Matt, because, uh, I, I, you know, there's probably maybe one or two that I thought we were a little bit fortunate to get. Mm. Uh there's 33 of them, and I'm saying that probably 31 were probably okay. But they got 13 and probably missed out on about half a dozen or so. Yeah, I'd um, say that's a fair. I'd say that's a fair number. Yeah, and and with some of those, the the ones that people might think like you know there are a bit ticky touchwood that went our way, they were actually consistent because a lot of those they were then ticky touchwood for Richmond, and they were paid for Richmond. But you're right, there were there were some that were that were very much missed, but overall they were fairly consistent. Yeah. Yeah, it was a funny one. I, 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 Like I said, I tried to be objective the second time I watched it just to see because obviously Richmond were up in arms and all the hard work was up in arms after the game and blah, blah, blah. But uh, anyway. But that's the way – I mean, that's the way his team were playing. I mean, those, those ducking ones in, uh, they well, normally don't true. pay them. They That's normally don't pay them, but, but that is actually what that rule is brought in for, is to stop those players propelling their head forward to do themselves yeah. an injury. Yeah. And uh, I was actually happy true. they were playing him. Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a couple of times, uh, more than a couple of times, where they, they dropped into a tackle. Um, and two things I noticed. One, as you rightly point out, the umpires officiated that quite well. But two, I noticed that our lads were... were adapting to that with the way that they were tackling very well as well. They they have been drilled, in my opinion, uh, for probably the first time in ages about keeping their tackles low. Even even Himmelberg, um, I forget the player that tried to duck into him um, or mm. just drop into him, but Berg kept his arms low, which is not easy for a big fella. Um, and it's it's obvious to me that they've been whether it was just in preparation for Richmond or whether it's part of their training at the moment, they are tackling very well at the moment. Not not many high frees given away. I agree with you, Fane. All right, stoppages. Uh, hitouts 29 to 41. As we mentioned, Riley uh, got towed up particularly early. Clearances were even 35 to 36, although they beat us 
in the middle and we beat them around the ground, which is probably what you'd expect given the relative um, form of both midfields at the moment, although ours looked a little bit more balanced with Sloaney not attending. Um, <clears throat> pardon me, contested posies were up by about 15 uh, uncontested was fairly even we didn't turn it over quite as much as they did uh, marks were even uh, marks inside 50 were even contested marks were even um, tackles were relatively even tackles inside C. so it was a fairly even game I, I think the difference in the game really because both teams worked very hard um, for for the majority of the game, both teams worked very, very hard. I think the difference was simply our efficiency up forward. Yeah, that's probably true. It is probably true uh, because I thought that our back line worked very, very hard. I thought they were just a little bit looser early in the piece and, and they just got tighter and tighter and tighter. I thought the back line did a good job. And therefore, reverse also holds that when we get the ball down into our forward lines and uh, we scored, and that's one of the reasons, obviously, why we won. Nick? We had a... As PJ Crow said, you know, difference was text. And he was... He created a forward line. In, not just himself, but he creates the whole forward line. And uh, that... Uh, Richmond didn't have the benefit of that. Nick? Yeah, no, I actually agree with um, PJ. It, it was very much, it was um, Tex just giving that leadership to the young forwards and you actually listen to, the, you know, those commentators talking about how we were positioning up forward and the spacing and and, and it was that kind of movement. I thought it was very good um, that we did keep Sloan out of um, the midfield. So that even though I was kind of like, oh, I was looking at it going, I really liked that Berry was in there, but it was still a slow midfield. But then with Berry, he's a fast thinker in terms of, you know, he will get rid of that ball quickly and he will get rid of it efficiently. Um, so I, I thought that was um, quite good. And I really liked the way um, we just worked it out of defence as well. And I mean, and I think a brilliant, um, case in point of how we were thinking well on the field was when Sloan got injured in that last quarter and if, and then we did that kick backwards. And, of course, the crowd goes nuts and goes off. And I'm just looking at the field going, that's bloody smart because we're a player down. They've spotted that. They know he, we're not going to get him off quickly. Richmond liked to fast move it. Instead, what that did was we opened up the ground some more, gave us a bit more space to keep possession of the ball so we didn't turn it over. They were very controlled kicks from that point um, until we got Sloan um, close enough to off the ground and then they um, went more towards a uh, a contest. You know, it was – I actually thought it was, a in a way, like a little bit of a great thinking game Um from our team, which we haven't seen for a while, there was there were still moments of panic and and everything else, and you know, and, and they got a bit of a run on, but I, I did like um, the way that we would wrestle the control back, and we then got it going our way. So it was it was a very pleasant game to be at. I thought we were going to get absolutely smashed, <laughs> and I was very pleased it didn't happen. Well, yeah, I agree. You say we were in control. Sorry, Thane, but no, uh, go on. I thought. In the back lines, I thought that Dawson uh, helped control the uh, with Smith can help control the back line. Yeah, uh, really like Smith's game. 
Yep. And uh, Tex up forward, just the way his presence is, he just helps create the opportunity for everybody else as well by being in the right place, right time, whether it's him or making way up for others. He's, and the same in, in reverse. I thought that, uh, as you said, that the back line's got tighter and tighter, Nicky, and uh, that, that was uh, Smith and Dawson actually leading the way there. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that I really like. First of all, uh, when you're an up-and-coming team, uh, you've got a new squad, um, you want to build a brand. Um, you know, yeah. a, a lot of the successful teams have got a brand, you know, that you know what they're going to bring every week. And I think what this squad is starting to do is build a brand, and that brand is just working their guts out. You can see, uh, you know, whether it's... Um, whether it's real or not, I just feel like Burgess has already had an impact in terms of their um, ability to work, uh, uh, their fitness, they're, they're very fit. I, I do wonder whether they were a bit flat the first couple of games of the season, Nicky and Macca, as a result of Burgess getting a few miles into their legs because they certainly are running on top of the ground right now. So yep. I like the fact oh, that Richmond. they're building... Sorry. Yeah, ju- yeah, just on that, Richmond looked really tired towards the end of the third quarter and those misses on goal in the fourth that they normally kick, I actually thought might have been to do with that we ran them into the ground. Could have been. Well, we certainly didn't stop running and that's the brand that we're building. We're building a brand as a team that will never go away, that will always be in your face because the only way you're going to beat Richmond is to is to – apply frontal pressure to them. You can't zone off against Richmond. They will destroy you. And that's where I thought we might struggle because of our slowish midfield. But the other, And that leads me to my second point, and I don't know whether you guys noticed it, Nick, you might have noticed it at the game, but um, what we're doing now with, uh, or what we did in this game, and I've noticed it, uh, I forget the other game, that maybe against Essendon, it's the most open and the most... Um, um, free that I've seen our forwards, uh, our forward line be for quite a while, and the reason for that is that we're pushing our half forwards up high to basically become extra midfielders through the middle middle half of the ground or the middle third of the ground. the The amount of times that we had extra players in the contest uh, between the arcs and the forward 50 had two, maybe three players in it. Sometimes we had Tex isolated. Uh, sometimes it was Tex, Himmelberg, and a small. But the amount of... T- uh, I reckon Nick's is... Uh, the way that he's selecting the team at the moment, or the way he's playing the team at the moment, suits who's being selected. Um, and with Lockie Murphy in the team and um, Josh Rochelle being able to play midfield minutes, etc., I just feel like we're compressing the middle of the ground and it certainly worked against Richmond and it offset our slow midfield because we had extra numbers through there for a lot of the time. Did you guys notice that? Yep, I can't disagree with the word you said there, Fiend. Um We would definitely had that uh, whole half forward line just push right up and uh, yeah, that which meant that when we did, sometimes we actually had to hold the ball up a little bit because we had mostly... Yep. The forward line had come up a little bit, the, the last line had come up a little bit too high as well. Um, but we definitely, yeah, we definitely crowded. When they, when we're coming out of defence, where, where it was getting like very tight and that, we definitely crowded it with our half forward line coming up as well. Yeah. 
And that has a oh, – did you notice that, Nikki, the open forward line? Yes. Oh, very much so. It's not like us at all. It hasn't been like us for the, for a while uh, to have an no. open forward line like that. And the good thing was that when they did crowd it, we kind of slowed it up and we've tried to switch it across and open it up and, and drag them out um, a bit more and then go back in. Um, again, that that thinking game that was actually happening on the field. It has a bit of an impact uh-huh. and someone someone noticed it on Especially the Especially that first quarter. Sorry, Nick, I think you dropped out and I spoke over the top of you. Um, a couple of things that it leads to. First of all, uh, a lot of our smalls, as someone pointed out in the in the chat, they're, they're running goalwards uh, when they're hitting the packs uh, because they're behind the ball running forwards. And Emma Henry did it a couple of times really, really well. Um, the other thing is that we're not getting burnt um, on transition going the other way because we're not all running ahead of the ball. Um, so, I, you know, whether it was just how the game panned out or whether it was by, by design, I think it really suited the way that we... Um, took the field in terms of our, our personnel uh, to play that way. Um, now, just before we get into some team stats, we do have Benzo here who's put the, put his hand up or put the hand up. Uh, if anyone wants to have a chat, obviously we are live and interactive. So uh, I'll bring you in, Benzo. Uh, you've got the green light there, mate. So come on in. Um, and uh, if anyone else wants to have something to say, stick your hand up and we'll get you on board as well. Benzo, when you're ready, mate, come in. I think there's a button up the top you've got to press. In the meantime, we might go to some individual stats, I think. Um, Bento might have mistakenly put his hand up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Let's have a look at some stats. Benny Keys, uh, again, leading disposals, 31 touches. Um... Second, yep. Uh, 15 kicks, 16 handballs, 5 marks, 6 tackles. He had 8 clearances, 478 metres gained, spent most of his time on the ground. Um, had 6 inside 50s, uh, 10 score involvements, which was a team high along with a couple of others. Um, disposal efficiency is down as we come to expect, 65. 13 contested possessions, 18 uncontested possessions, um, certainly in in the conversation for, uh, <coughs> pardon me, best player. Well, he's definitely, uh, yeah, certainly, certainly in the conversation, but certainly for me, I reckon in the best two or three. Yeah, uh, when you want to talk about work rate, um, there are a couple of times where, and I think the commentators even pointed it out that he just gut run, um, just amazing fitness um, that he's got. And, yeah, um, if you're talking about gut running, gut running is only him in the conversation. There are uh, no others that compete. He, he would have to just about be the hardest working player in the comp, wouldn't he? Well, I think that, that yeah. actually that um, even some of the buyers, the Victorian commentators, actually made that statement that they don't, they can't think of a player that's a better gut runner than him. Yeah, and they did. But also it's kind of interesting because when we were watching the replay of the game and I'm just looking at my dad going, why are they talking us up so much? He went, just look at them all. They hate Richmond. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> they hate us less than they hate Richmond. Yeah, but okay. they're, they're not they're not wrong about it. 
Um, and they highlight they did some beautiful highlights of you know that his running um, that he would do that he just gets on his bike and he goes, but he will also do it defensively. Yeah. Oh, no, he got, he works all around the ground. Yep. Um, Brody Smith, twenty-eight disposal, seventeen, eleven, four marks, three tackles, two clearances, six twenty-three meters gained. Um, he had uh, five inside fifties, uh, four score involvements, uh, five intercepts, uh, six. He's six contested position. He's having a very good start to the season, Brody Smith. Very consistent. He had, yeah, he has had a good year so far. And that um, was it the th- the third quarter when they were really was the third quarter or the last quarter. I'm trying to remember which quarter it was, but where he was just basically decided no, yeah, third quarter. He just went no, you're not getting it past me. Um, he was literally the wall. Like they would get it out of our forward line, and he was just there, and he was like, "It's going straight back in. Don't care. Not getting past me." It was he had. Such a good game and a really good impact on the game. Yeah, seven rebound fifties too. Um, I don't know what CPR means. Something. Um, CPR mean term contested possession rate. I don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> but I, I just it's it's good. It's very good to see Brody playing the way that he is now that we've got um, Geordie in the team as well because it's a really good one-two punch off halfback and we'll get to Dawson in a minute but um, uh, their ability to, to rebound off halfback is is vital in my opinion. Matty Crouch, 26 touches, 12 and 14, uh, three marks, four clearances, 335 metres gained, 72% time on ground. Um Five score involvements, uh, went at 92% disposal efficiency, only five contested possessions. Um, I'll leave it to others to uh, tell me what they thought. Sometimes uh, very, very slow to dispose of the ball. <laughs> I just couldn't believe him at times. Uh, I mean, he'd just stand there for about 10 to 15 seconds before he did anything. And uh, then generally it was just a handball or a very short pass. So... I don't think he would have got a lot of metres gain. Um, yeah, he he does. He's just he's not an instinctive footballer. Um, you contrast him with Barry, who is so fast that you he gets that ball and he knows where. He's, and if he has to get rid of it quickly, he knows where the other players are around him. He doesn't hesitate and he gets rid of it. Whereas there was one of the ones which was on their half forward line, it would have been fumbled across and we were keeping pressure. We were still moving it around. It got to Crouch. There was one of our players right next to him. He was about to get. He was got Richmond players closing down on him, and you can see him pause and think. Uh, uh, and then he handles, and of course. That player then gets tackled because Richmond being able to close up on him. It's that that's the problem I have with Crouch is that he doesn't take the first option. He kind of double thinks himself, and he's he's never going to fix that. It's too late in his career to do so. Yeah, I think he's very good at finding the ball, but it's just he doesn't have an instinctive disposal. Um, yeah, as you say, he he always has to have a a real think about it and. 
if you really want to move the ball very quickly, it actually slows the team down. That's my, my one criticism. He can certainly find the ball. Do you think he's frightened of making a mistake by foot? No, but he's always been like that. He's always done that stutter. He's yeah, never but, taken that. But he, let's, let's not forget that the last coach that he played under was Don Pike, who was scathing about um, scathing about making errors. Yeah. Mm. And and he hasn't had a lot of game time really under Matthew Nix um, since his injury. And I just wonder whether he's still in that frame of mind where he's a bit afraid to make a mistake. The one thing that I'll say about Crouch, he never gets off the mark far enough to give himself enough room by foot. And I actually think that contributes to the fact that he ends up being more comfortable kicking the ball sideways because he actually doesn't give himself enough space. Um but you're right, he's not instinctive, but I, I, it, he always seems to be wanting to take the risk-free option. And that, there's nothing necessarily bad with that, but when you're trying to move the ball quickly and, and, uh, and you've got blokes presenting and you have to be pinpoint with your pass, at, at some stage you've got to back yourself to be able to make those kicks, surely. Yeah, yeah. some, some players just like that. I mean... Uh... Watching uh, Kelly, who used to play for us last uh, last year and played with Essen last week, got a, he forgot a fair bit of the ball, but I noticed he just slowed the game down every time for Essen and every time he had the ball. So it's it's just I don't think they've got that instinctive feel about what to do with the ball once they've got it. They've got to look around and wire it up mentally and then do it. And you'd Whereas, think... you know, top players just do it in so instinctively. Well, and you'd think... If uh, you know, and who knows whether this is true or not, but you would think that Nick's has a certain style of play that he wants them to play, and blokes run to positions accordingly. So you would think that Crouch would know where to look. You know, instinctively, he should be looking at where he expects the next option to be, because you would expect that they would drill that. You know, so um, you know if we if we're trying to play a, a possession style game and, and use the ball by foot. Um, from stoppage or from you know from a marker or free kick, you would think that Matty would know where to look. And often, as you say, Nick, he does look there, but he just doesn't pull the trigger. Certainly not a gambler. No, no, not a gambler. Thanks, Nicky. All right, let's move on. Uh, Rory Laird, twenty-six disposals, eleven and fifteen, five marks, four tackles. 327 metres gained, five clearances. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, he had um, four inside 50s, uh, 10 score involvements, uh, three intercepts, 14 contested possessions. Uh, even though his disposals were down on his usual output or his recent output, I actually thought it was possibly Laird's best game for the season, to be honest with you, in terms of impact. Um. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I thought he played a very, very good game, but I think he, I think he's been more dominant in a couple of, other, at least in one other game. Um, well, he's got more of the ball, but I, I just felt like he, he, his impacts made. Uh, sorry, his disposals had more of an impact this week. Was so you're saying more, more value for money? You reckon? Yeah, more impact on the game. Yep. Yeah, no, he played well. 
Nikki, are you with us or like are we holding you up from? I somewhere? am. <laughs> no, I am. It's just you guys are. I'm just kind of agreeing with pretty much everything you guys are saying. It's like yeah. Un- un- unfortunately, because you won't show your face on video, you're gonna have to actually have to speak because we can't see you nodding. <laughs> you have a cup of tea of Bickies, aren't you, Nikki? No. What do you think about ladies' game, Nick? I really liked it. Um, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to decide where, whether he's in the top five or not. It's really hard. I've I've kind of got four, <laughs> and I'm just like, is he in there or are some others in there? It was I. It was um. It was uh, uh, there. There was a comment made about one of like some of his kicks that he was he was doing, and um, somebody made the 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 comment of oh he's lowered his eyes, and my response to that was he's always lowered his eyes, but he's finally lowered his kick, which my father found hilarious. Um, so I actually thought that was a, a really good. Some of those forward passes he did, they weren't those dolly up in the airs, which. We've loved that that he, he accumulates it, but he used to. They were so easy for defenders to pick off. Um, but longer, he seems longer, to be his longer kicks were still balloons. Yeah, they still go up. I, I think it, that's what happens when he wants to get his distance. But when they're at that shorter distance, he was still. He used to do the little the netball lob with his kick, but they were a lot flatter, um, which really was to the advantage of our forwards. Um, and I think that's what showed up in and how good we were at converting. Um, yeah, well, like I said, so, 10 score involvement, so he certainly got involved yeah. in some scoring chains, which was good. He um, did. Thanks, Nikki, for waking up. Uh, Geordie Dawson, twin disposed, 24 disposals, 18 kicks, 6 handballs, 6 marks, um, 749 metres gained, if you don't mind. Um, he had four inside 50s, uh, which kind of shows that he was playing a little bit behind the ball, uh, when I say behind the ball, like staying back around the half, like behind centre. Um, eight score involvements, so eight intercepts, 83.3% disposal efficiency, which does surprise me a little bit because he was a little bit tardy. Uh, six contested possessions. As I mentioned earlier with Smithers, um, I reckon him and Geordie are just a fantastic halfback combination. Yeah, I can't argue with that. Dawson certainly had a real quality back there. Yeah, and he like he um, he's unflustered, which is what I really like. He doesn't get, he doesn't panic. Uh, he, he, yeah. he has, he's actually, and he's not frightened to take him on too. There was a couple of times there where I thought when he, he was about to kick the ball and the, they were closing in on it, but he's got the ability to weave past them and then then and still find a target up forward. He's He's going to be. He's just going to get better and better every game he plays for us. Yeah. Uh, Tommy Diday uh, played all right. Twenty-two disposals. Uh, just seems at times. It's unusual with Tom. Prior to his injury, he I would have said a similar thing about him as I just said about Dawson that he was unflappable and cool under pressure, but. He just seems to have lost his spatial awareness a little bit. Would you guys agree with that? A little, yeah, just a little. Just yeah, does does a bit of times. Yeah, and but then at other times, I, I thought it was kind of back to what we know about how 
good he is at that intercept um, and everything else. I mean, like that one on the wing where he just kept eyeing that ball and he was going to punch it and the two Richmond players just kind of left it for each other, which, you know, opened the door beautifully for him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, because he was slipping over and so were others and we're like, is the grass maybe a little bit longer? It looked a really no. good deck, though. What was that, Nick? Would, did they have the grass a little bit longer, which, you know, if you've got the moulded stops, then you tend to, when you try to change direction quickly, because there were, there were a few of them that were slipping over, and it was Richmond were doing it as well, not just us. But, um, yeah, that, that balls up in the <laughs> the ridiculous refault <laughs> accidental goal because he didn't mean to do that at all. Um, oh, that was like a... Uh, yeah, uh, but I think he's subscribed for quite a bit, though, Nick. I mean, he's got the rubber stops, and uh, you know, if you, when you turn, um, yeah, because you, you have know. to. Yeah. Anyway, I, I just feel like he's just lost a little bit of his spatial awareness, and uh, maybe not as Mister Reliably as he's as we used to. But uh, hopefully, that will change. Um, Billy Frampton's game was an interesting one: twenty-two disposals, eighteen and four. He took nine marks. 535 metres gained. Um, he had one inside 50, um, two score involvement, six intercepts, went at 77% disposal efficiency, four contested possessions. Yeah, I, I thought those, was... those stats are good stats. They are good stats. You would not be. Oh, yeah. But. How many, like, where I'm trying to find the stats for fumbles because I reckon without hey. fail, every time someone kicked it to him or handballed it to him or he tried to take a mark or whatever, he fumbled the damn thing. It was almost comical how much he fumbled. Well, we had two. He had two that were costly that cost goals. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was going to raise him as well in the sense of uh, what do you make of his game because... Um, 22 disposals on paper looks excellent. He's a good user of the ball. He's a long kicker of the ball. He's actually, and you know, with ball in hand, he can actually seem to think as well. Um, but um, yeah, they, as I said, they were just through what you would call almost under 10 or under 11 type fumbles. He cost us a couple of goals, and um, it's almost like he lost left his glasses at home. Like he, like literally, it seemed like his depth perception was all out. I remember there was one like three meter handball, not under any pressure, and oh, he just about bloody fumbled that. <laughs> Come on, Billy, what the hell? And um, somebody said you know he's got no composure under pressure. Well, it could be that. I... that. Me pun? I disagree with that because he can kick well under pressure. It's it's his ball it's his ball handling skills. Yes, I have to agree with you on that. It. As I said, there were two dastardly moments that cost us goals, and uh, you know, and they just ones you, you should never give away. And having said that, um, I thought I think he's adjusting to playing back there. Um, a couple of times early in the piece, he'd go for the front position and get uh, you know, lent on and pushed out of position. But I just think he's getting better at uh, uh, playing against uh, good players, but. He just has that ability to pull out those couple of shockers every so often that just going to um, cost you goals. So 
I, I think we've, probably the best option we've got there for the moment. I mean, there's a guy we picked pick six who should be playing there, but never going to be going, be there on current form. I mean, Mackesy. Um and I think it's sad when you've got pick six playing in the Bs and looking not very good, and you've got a reject from Port Adelaide playing in in that position and uh, and not doing too bad. So, I look, I I, I give Frampton a pass, but but uh, there was a negative there. Nick, how do you see it? I I think. Um... Vali Magic's kind of nailed it, exactly. <laughs> He's the opposite of Hardigan. Um, Hardigan was a good defender, but dubious on disposal. But Billy's disposal is his strength, but his defence needs work. He He's one of those who needs Duday to come off his player to help him out um, because he can, even though he's got some strength, he doesn't quite know how to use it as a defender. Um, and... So that's where he can kind of get a little bit out of position and a good forward will um, really take advantage of that. Um, and, it, and it's just that those defensive instincts are not quite natural to him. But I think a lot of his disposal is actually quite clean um, and is proactive, which is what I want to see coming out of the back lines. Yeah, but do you need to yeah. see that from your centre half back? That's I think that's the thing that I'm getting stuck on at the moment. Billy's primary job, in my opinion, is to be an aerial defender. He's there to take the second best uh, forward of the opposition. Uh, so, um, you know, and you're dead set right, Nicky, that he benefits a lot from Duday coming in as a third up. And mm. Richmond tried to isolate today at times they didn't do a very good job of it in my opinion yeah um today was on was it parker i think um for a lot of the time um i felt like they should have actually chucked uh, tried to get a match up with revolt on today um to try and get today out of the forward line a bit because revolt was playing relatively high um i thought hardwick could have done more to try and isolate frampton um you know, there, there's no doubting that, that Billy is good by foot. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's that strong in pack situations. I don't think he's that strong one-on-one uh, when he doesn't have front position. Um, you'd, you'd, you'd really want to merge Billy and Nick Murray to get your perfect second key defended. Nick Murray's aerial uh, attack on the ball was fantastic. Uh, Billy by foot is far better <laughs> and more trustworthy. So um, I agree with you, Mac. Uh, we don't have a lot of options at the moment, and, and you know who knows how long it's going to take for Fisher to come up um, into uh, being an option. He's certainly not an option there at the moment on SANFL form. There's, there's another... not this year. Not this year. No, I, I think that I think there's an I think there's another one in the SANFL we're just waiting on. Tell us about it, Nick. Four lays. He's not tall enough. Yeah. He's not tall enough to play that How position. Tall is he? he looks tall enough. Whenever I see him in the SNFL and up against Bacchusy and everybody else, yeah, he that's looks good. tall enough. That's, that's and he's boys. solid. But those big boys he's better. Three. He's better. To... Is there, Nick? I was, but you went away. No. Oh, um, I, think, I think you've got some network issues, Nicky. Keep fading in I'm and just out. Gonna... 
Uh, that just, wouldn't surprise me. I was just going to say that um, in the SAFL, the type of player that Ball Ace is standing is probably not as tall as what you'd face in the AFL. They, they just those few inches bigger because the, that's what makes them better. And uh, uh, Ball Ace, I reckon his form has been pretty good, but um, he could struggle. Frampton's got the height, um, but, you know, he's raw. He's he's never played in the back lines ever. I was reading an article where he was talking about it and that uh, he's only ever played forward uh, or in ruck, but mainly up forward. Um, and he said, but he's liking this down-back situation and he wants to make it a position for himself for the long term. Well, that, that will certainly depend on him improving a bit and, I think he, I reckon he has improved, but he's got, you know, as Fiam and I were talking about the, the schoolboy errors, a couple of schoolboy errors that were costly, and um, he's, and you know, he'll he'll learn the tricks and where to stand and what to do, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, if he does that, he'll be an asset to us, um, and then if he can tidy up his ball handling a bit, that. Uh, then he could possibly make the position his own. But at this stage, he's there because we've got no one better. Yeah, I think I think that's a fair call, um, Macca. Uh, I'm just having a look at Ball Aces. All right, just bear with me a second. James Ball Ace. He's 192, so cat attack, you're about four centimetres short, which is, ex- or too much, which is what I suspected. Um, 192 isn't tall enough to, um, in modern footy, to be a, a, a key a key back, in my opinion. No, not quite. Brampton, on the other hand, hand is 202 centimetres, so, you know, therein lies your difference. Um, uh I think it's a worry, actually, that position, uh, longer term. Well, yes, it is, because um, there aren't many other options. Um, I, one thing about Murray, Murray has a fair crack, but he's he's raw. He's very, very raw. Um, no, Nobody can ever doubt his effort. Nobody can ever doubt he's got his fearless, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but he's raw and uh, a good player can beat him because 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 of that. Um, in time, he will get better. But um, at, as I say at the moment, uh, Frampton's our best uh, option. Yeah, I, I like Nick Murray a lot. Um, I think the aggression that he provides, um, and the effort that he provides, and the aerial uh, work that he provides, um, leaves Billy for dead. And this is where I come back to: what do we value out of a key position defender? Do we do we value the the ability to distribute the ball, or do we value the ability to nullify an opponent? And I think I would have Nick Murray in the team over Billy Frampton because personally, and this is a matter of opinion, for a key <clears throat> for a key tall defender, I want him to nullify his opponent, and I think Nick Murray is better equipped to do that than Billy Frampton. Yeah, I think it's uh, six and one and a half a dozen in the other at the moment, Fiend, because um, both of them have got their deficiencies. Um, yeah, but what do, you, both... what do you value more, though, Macca? 
defender. Uh, from a from a key position defender, what do you value more? Uh, well, the combination basically is yeah to stop scoring, um, but the good defenders not only stop scoring, they also get the ball, and neither neither of these can do both. I know, so that's that's my point. So because neither of them can do both, what do you value more? I like Murray, and uh, I was surprised when he got dropped. Um, but I think that we have to persevere with the Frampton experiment uh, for a few more weeks because um, there are things I like about him back there, and there are things I don't like about him back there. But he, he's only ever probably played half a dozen games in defence, playing. We have to remember that. And. Uh, what seat are you running for, mate, on May the 20-whatever it is? <laughs> what seat are you running for? Because I asked you that direct question three times and you've skipped it three times. I think it's 5.4%, mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no. I, well, I would go with Frampton at this stage for the That's reasons that I said. Not what I asked. Do it well. Ideally, I'd love to have a defender that stopped the bloke from getting any goals and still, any kicks at still all. Still not what I asked. I asked, what do, you def- what do you value more? A bloke who can def- who can nullify his opponent and defend or a bloke who yeah. can distribute the ball? From oh, no, your key position defender. Uh, <laughs> I'm getting some rubbish in about my... Well, so you bloody should. Um, well, look, Just answer the, the bloody is- question, God damn it. I wonder if you'd stop talking. I would look. Obviously, ideally, you'd have one that's uh, the perfect offender. But we no, haven't. No, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. Oh my god! <laughs> I, can I answer it? Well, can you answer it. I I would actually prefer one to, at the moment one who can defend better. So that to me, that's Murray. But I can see looking at the defence overall, players that we thought we were going to get the nice kicks out of defence and to be that distributor are not doing that. Therefore, I think that's why they're preferring Frampton at the moment and trying to get the others to compensate for where he lacks and work as a team. Nah. I don't buy it. Did that, did that pass? Well, it wasn't out of your mouth, Macca, so no, it didn't. You're in the sin bin. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, personally, I'd have Murray in uh, for the reasons that I... But, I look, I'm the same as you, Nick. I can see why they're persisting with Frampton. Um, because if you can make a defender out of Frampton, uh, then yeah. you've got a very good footballer. Um, I guess the, the jury's out whether you can... Um, teach Nick some composure or whether you can teach Billy some aerial skills. I'm not sure. Billy, Billy Frampton is an excellent mark, uh, but it just seems to be when he's playing in defence, his ability to to judge properly is not quite there yet. And, Macca, you did make a good point, all jokes aside. You know, he's only played a handful of games in defence. He's very green when it comes to being a defender. And maybe they can see that there's... Uh, stuff to work with and maybe they're seeing that it's a better bet at the moment so I don't disagree but I I worry at the moment 
that Billy aerially against uh, a tall um, a tall attack uh, might be aerially a bit of a liability. And Geelong in particular, absolutely, Nikki. And I could see that I was surprised that Hardwick didn't try and play through Billy Moore to expose him. Well, I have to agree with that. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm a Frampton uh, uh, fan or a fanatic. No, no, I'm no, just no, saying, no, no. I know. I, I just think that he's the best that we have at the moment. Yeah. And it's not ideal, but it's what the best we've got. Yeah, yeah. I didn't ask you any of those questions. I asked one question that you didn't answer. <laughs> All right. No, I, no that's I, it. I, I, no, that's it. No, you've had, had, you've had. I can answer. We don't, have, we don't have that person. Yeah. That still wasn't the question. Uh, Lucky Child, 21 disposals, 12 and 9. He had uh, 5 marks, uh, 322 metres gained. Uh, um, was quiet for long periods of the time, Lockie, but I thought his last quarter or his last half was pretty good. Um, he had four inside 50s, five score involvements, uh, five contested possessions. Um, like I said, quiet, but stood up when he needed to, I thought. Um, I, th- I liked uh, Charles' game early. I th- I, uh, he doesn't really like physical stuff. Um, no, we said but- that every week. Yep, but he, but he, I thought he read the ball very well, and uh, and he has always been a fairly good uh, distributor of the ball as well. It'll be interesting next week. I, I'd have him trying to run with Smith for a while because he's got he's got a big engine. An interesting call, Mac. What do you reckon, Nick? Um, you dropped out on me. I think your network's you were... cooked. You got your VPN on tonight, haven't you? I know you have. No, I do not. I don't have my VPN on anymore. Oh, something's happening. Um, anyway, uh, Braden Cook, as I mentioned, 17 disposals uh, probably flew under the radar a bit. I'm surprised his disposals were that high. Uh, but he was quite prominent when he had the ball um, defensively. I thought he was very good. Uh, 375 metres gained. Spent 81% time on ground. Um, had um, sorry three score involvements, six intercepts, though. 88% um, disposal efficiency. I, it was a really nice game from Braden, I thought. Oh, I loved it. And it, what it did, it spelled out and said, I'm going to be a very, very good player then in the future. I mean, 15, I think it was 15 or 17 disposals, whichever it was, um, uh, 17. Um, I, that was fantastic in a game that was, you know, tight and tough. And he was not out of place one little bit. In fact, he was very good in it. And, you know, I thought he made the most of his opportunities and he certainly doesn't, he's, he's not frightened, he's got pace, he looks when he's got the ball and I just think he's going to be a very good player for us long term. They must keep playing him and playing him. He's, he's going to be so good. Yeah. I've got to say that Scoot Malouk in the chat is a very, very weird person. Um, I've been a Cook fan since he dropped in here, so I don't know what you're going on about. Uh, Lockie Murphy, 17 disposals, 8 and 9, uh, 248 metres gained. Um, what I liked about Lockie's game, or the way they played Lockie, is what we were saying a couple of weeks ago, is that his work around the contest uh, is really starting to show, and... I'm glad they're getting him involved a little bit more, whether it's by design or just the way that the cookie's crumbling. But he's getting involved more at stoppage, and he's showing us that he's a genuine stoppage player. Six inside 50s, 
four score involvements, uh, seven contested possessions. His work around stoppage was excellent, I thought. Was and on top of that, once he got hold of it, Fiend, uh, sometimes there was a beautiful long raking left foot kick into the forward lines. Um, I, I'm surprised he. I think he played uh, much better than we all thought he would. Well, like when you when you pick a guy who's won a best and fairest as a midfielder as an under eighteen, and you play him in a high half forward position or in a dead pocket position next to Eddie Betts or you know whatever. Um, yeah, we're good at that. What are you going to get out of him? And as soon as you put him where his, where his his skill set is suited, he's, you start getting results. And this has been one of our criticisms for a long time um, in terms of our squad management is that we play blokes out of position. And you know, I I really like the fact that they were playing Lockie and Josh quite high and getting them in and around stoppage clearances, or stoppage um, situations. And Lockie Murphy really shone in those circumstances. And like you said, Macca, he was able to hit up targets going forward. So, um, you know, whether it's a bit of a rethink or just a bit of a, pardon me, an evolution of the way we're structuring up, I, I like the way that they're playing Lockie and I think we're getting the best out of him. And look, a month ago I would have... Pardon me, God, I think that's... A month ago I would have said Lockie Murphy, um, second string of depth. But when it just goes to show that when you allow, in Nix's vernacular, a bloke to show his weapons by playing him in the right position and the right role, all of a sudden we've got a player. I agree. Um, Pedler got crucified. Um, I mean, he's, he's a midfielder who got stuck in a forward pocket to give a very good example of what you were talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, Barry on a half forward flank, Murphy on a half forward flank, and we need midfielders. And uh, they've, 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 so they've given Murphy a bit of a run there, and he's shown that he'll he'll rise to the occasion. Um, and uh, you know, I hope that when Pedler does get another opportunity, that they give him a chance to do the same thing. I can only um, think that he hasn't got the legs at the moment, Mac, and they're protecting him. That's the only thing I can think of. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, and that might yeah, he, he, he fades out a bit in the SNFL. Does he? Yeah, well, that's yeah, he, he he did on the week. Uh, he did on he did on Friday. Um, just on on that on Murphy in the midfield, I just can you know compare him to our AFLW team. Look what Rochelle Martin did. Why can't he be our Rochelle Martin? Because he's a bloke. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that same type of player that you. It's, even though they're supposedly undersized, but because they are still such a natural footballer and they are so competitive, and he's got he's very quick. People actually forget how quick Murphy actually is. The, point, it Nick. brings some speed back to our midfield. No, I, I think good point. You made a very good point there, Nicky. And uh, if you don't give them a try, and as, as I didn't realise, saying that he played his major junior football as a midfielder. Exceptional uh, midfielder. Yeah, and the club certainly should have known that. And yet I've never seen him play on the ball ever before. Mm. Um, and this this week he uh, played on the ball. And uh, like you said, uh, he did some very, very nice things indeed. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I hope they continue to use him um, through the rotations. He's got something to offer. Yeah. Uh, Sammy Berry in for the first time this year, which was great to see, um, you know, didn't have a huge impact on the game 
um, and at times um, uh, kind of missed targets, I think, because he thought blokes were going to be there and they weren't there. <laughs> Still, uh, he only had the three kicks, 13 handballs, um, four tackles, only 137 metres gained. Um, you know, not huge numbers um, by any means, four score involvements. Um, but it was nice to have him in the mix, 10 contested possessions. Uh, nice to have him in the mix. And uh, I do hope they persist, uh, persist with him for a period of time, particularly uh, with, you know, the, the situation with Sloan now. Well, definitely. And I, and, uh, I think that that definitely means not only him, but others have to get the opportunity to go through there. Uh, because, you know, you've got to have several rotations. Um, but he, he was reasonable. Um, I'll give him a pass full of first effort but uh, in the mid there. But I think he's got to do just a little oh, bit more a low, than that. Low pass. Low pass. We need more output from him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. And the thing is, that there's three, uh, only three kicks and 13 handballs. That's crouch stuff. And uh, so I'd, I'd like to see him just get... Uh, you know, and he's probably got to get the feel of it, but to to get around the ground and make opportunities to get loose balls uh, as well, not not just contested balls. But I, I uh, felt like he uh, got caught a couple of times, Mac. I don't know whether you noticed. I, I felt like he got caught a couple of times at centre bounce, um, ball watching a bit and not not uh, watching his opponent, and particularly in the first half when Nankervis was tailing Rob up. Um, in the yeah. middle, um, he just wasn't quite defensive enough when he needed to be. Uh, he seemed to be trailing his player a little bit, um, so he probably needs to work on that. But it's the first time he's crumbed to O'Brien all year, so you could probably forgive that a bit. Yeah, no, look, he's got promise, and uh, I think you know, persevere with him, and uh, also, as you just say, run the others through there as well. Um, the thing with with Barry and the, one of the things I like about him so much is that you'll never die wandering with with Sam. He'll give you effort. Absolutely. Oh right, Tex! What a revelation! The second coming of Tex, for goodness' sake! I feel like we're seeing you know everything that we, everything that we've t- said about Tex over the journey, and you know we've had him out of the team, we've had had him wanting to retire. I've been a big G for giving Fogarty the keys up until recently. I, I just think um, the, the irrespective of what happens now, Taylor Walker is a credit to himself as a footballer, as a professional footballer, to be able to come back from that last piece of adversity. A lot of people thought he'd retire after the, after that happened. Um, and to not just be serviceable, but to be to transform our forward line and to and to be such a key element of our team at 32 years of age, um, he can stay there as long as he wants, as far as I'm concerned. Well, as our statistician Vardy Magic said uh, in 2020, Tex Glynn got 15 goals from 14 matches. In um, at 2021, he uh, he was reborn again. And then he had the situation where he got uh, stood down for his incident, uh, and a lot of people thought he would be retired. But no, I, I never thought he would. I thought that he would come back and show everybody, um, and that he would redeem himself. And not only that, he he'd carry on where he was last year, and he's done 
probably gone to another height rather than just carry on. He's been fantastic. And it's and it's not just, you know, his own skill level and the way he, you know, is working um, in the game. It was also, I saw the captain um, text out there again, just that leadership that he does on the field of making sure everybody is in the right position. And if there's not, oh, my God, does he give him a spray. Um, but he gets them, you know, positioning up higher to stop that outlet. And and I think Nix was questioned about it and, he, and, and all he had to say was, we have a really young forward group and we needed somebody senior. And look at what's happened. You know, well, even though, yes, we did get beaten last week, you could see that our forward line was working better. Well, and this is the thing. Uh, Nick, we've been saying it, uh, you need senior players playing in your team as long as they're playing well. And the um, the difference between Tex and Sloan has been that um, Tex has come in and performed, you know, um, just amazing yep. since he's come in. And that's the sort of experience you want in your team because you can see Elliot's, you know, uh, benefiting from it. The smalls are working, benef- benefiting from it. Um, I can see Rochelle and uh, Walker just gelling straight away, which is crazy because they're both smart, intelligent football players. Mm. Um, so, you know, uh, all credit to Tex, you know, and he's been bashed from pillar to post on media and even on this podcast in terms of his bad performances. And like Vardy pointed out a couple of years ago, you know, what was it? less than 20 goals from 15 games, you know, and you thought his career was done. Yeah. We thought he was done. And uh, we, we were talking about he has to retire. Exactly. You know, he looked say, slow. He, looked, he didn't look agile. He's, you know, he's never going to be the quickest bloke, but he just looked heavy-legged. He, couldn't, he was going up one-handed to everything. I don't know what's happened, but whatever's happened uh, is just a credit to him. It really is. Well, I think he's both, uh, in a way, the break may have well helped him in the sense of making him uh, physically and mentally more determined to succeed and because uh, of the situation that he that he got himself into. And uh, the break helped him as well. Um, so he's come back refreshed mentally, uh, physically, and I don't think he's ever played better than this. No, he, uh, he, he looks in the, well, I mean, beginning of last season, he, he was up to leading the Coleman at the halfway mark, mate. He was going all right then too before he uh, picked up a couple of niggles. But uh, aside from that, he, he's almost up to pre-ACL levels at the moment. He really is. Yeah, no, outstanding. So excellent game from Taylor and uh, not only his own personal output, which was uh, brought him to within two of 500 career goals, I think. Um, kick five goals, needed seven, yep. I think. So two to go. Um, you know, but it wasn't only that output; it was the impact that he had on the players around him uh, was excellent. And just on that, in the theme of the forward line, Elliot Himmelberg deserves uh, a praise as well. Although I'm not getting on the train because we all know what happens when I get on the Himmelberg train. So I'm yeah. off Himmelberg. He sucks. He's terrible. Get rid of him. However, he's been playing really well. Um, and uh, we're starting to see what he can do at, at ground level. Um, you know, that, that take and snap might have surprised many, but it didn't surprise me because he has shown repeatedly that he's good below his knees. Nope. Well, you know, he's had a run of very good games. 
All I can say is, you know, we were getting stuck in him a little bit before that. Um, I just hope that, uh, I mean, he's shown what he can do. So it's not a question of whether he can do it or not. It's a, he's got, he, the question is, will he do it or not in terms of wanting to as hard as, as he's wanting to at the moment? I, I, I'm, I'm very pleased with him at the moment, in the sense that you can see that he wants to be a good player at the moment and he wants to put it, uh, he's putting everything he's got into it. Uh, and I, he, I don't think he's good enough that he can't, that he, that he can play well without doing that. So he's, if he puts everything he's got into it, he can, he's an AFL player and a, and a good one. And, uh, he, and he has strung three good ones together now. So let's just hope that they, that keeps going. Yeah, and some people in the chat pointing out his opposition, and that's that's fair enough to a degree. But what I'm seeing from Elliot is um, repeat efforts and not sagging off in in marking competitions. Uh, that's it. You know, follow staying in the contest uh, even when he's out of position. Um, whereas before, he if he wasn't in the right position or didn't feel he was in the right position, he tended to to sag off and. Um, that's that's what I'm saying, and I don't really care what the reason for it is, um, and I'm not on the Berg train, but there's there's no doubt that with Himmelberg playing well and Tex back in the in the team, um, and you know what are we going to do with Riley Thilthorpe uh, soon? That could be an interesting one. Um, you know, we've we've all of a sudden got a, a forward line that seems to be functioning quite well. Yeah, and uh, uh, all the individuals are putting in their little bit into it. Um, McHenry was probably perhaps the quietest of, of the borderline on the weekend. Glant a little bit too, uh, but they still did something. They, were, they still did their bit. It, was, it wasn't a case of not trying or not putting in effort. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it was a pretty good forward line. You know that that's very true, and you know a few people saying McHenry played badly, and he certainly certainly didn't have a, a, a huge impact from a disposal point of view. But I tell you what, late in the game, um, or in the clinches when uh, when Richmond were coming back, some of his aggression and attack on the ball was fearless, and he got a couple mm-hmm. of really nice crumbs uh, for a couple of score involvements there. You know. I still don't know what to make of Nevik Henry, um, but I won't cop the fact that he, he's useless or shocking because the kid will put his body in where no one else wants to put their body in, and you've got to give him respect for that. Yeah, another interesting thing, I mean, when we drafted him, he was actually playing midfield as well. He wasn't playing half forward. Right. So he's, he's another yeah. one. Well, he, he, was, he was, um, wasn't he the... Him, uh, him and Chase were uh, two best midfielders in the SNFL side. No, no, no. What I'm saying is that in his draft year, didn't he? Wasn't he the second midfielder to Sam Walsh? Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah, he was. And they they were a pretty good one-two punch. So um, again, it's a situation where he's not playing in a position that he's been drafted for for whatever reason. So uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, I won't, we won't go through the rest. Just quick mentions. I thought Geordie Butts recovered after a tentative start with uh, Tommy Lynch getting a couple of grabs early. I thought Geordie really tightened up and was pretty good. As you mentioned, Lockie Gallant um, didn't do a hell of a hell of a lot, but when the ball's in his area, he always uh, makes an effort. I thought Shane McAdam, uh, you know, despite 
not having a huge disposal in- impact, I thought he was uh, his defensive efforts were really good. Um, and Joshua Shelley, um, again, only 11 touches, but every time he gets near it, you just think to yourself, Jesus, what a player. Yeah, very quiet up to half-time, but his second half was good. Well, do you reckon uh, like his form is good enough to warrant teams putting work into him, Mac? Oh, and they will, uh, but I, he'll still get goals. He's, he's just a clever footballer. But I think that's what you might find happening, That and it might have been that way against Richmond, although I didn't notice it particularly. Um, but uh, they'd be conscious of him. He's not just some kid. He's, uh, oh, they, they were, be, he's they were playmaker. conscious. They were conscious of him at the ground. Yeah, yeah, they well, certainly were. But the, the whole point is, he's so he's so clever that you just make you just relax for one second and, and he's yep. off. Yeah, and he just worked and worked and worked. Um, so he didn't he didn't quite come off in that first half, but because he just kept at it, and he just hates being beaten. And he hates not being involved. You can just see that so much from the way he plays. He's – I've played on a couple of players like that and it's – oh, it's mentally draining. Yeah, what I like about it, he, even though he's only a, like a first-year player that's played five games, he still wants to be the man. And, yep. you know, that's that's a mental a mentality that most players don't get until they've been playing AFL for several seasons, and he, he's just born with it. But you know what, Macket, I'm like I don't disagree with you, but that's what you get from high draft talent, and the reason I say that is because they have been the man all through their junior career. Yeah, right? these high draft picks they come in with confidence. You don't have, um, you know, a bloke like Sam Berry who, who's just a good, honest player and, you know, even Harry Schoenberg, you know, mid-30s. These, these lads that have been at the, at the peak at every age group level, um, they come in with that ingrained confidence and it makes a hell of a difference. And it's, you know, no, um, no coincidence, in my opinion, that, that he stands out so much because we don't, we haven't had too many of those in our history. Uh, Paddy Dangerfield was probably the last one that came in with a strut, um, but yeah. we haven't. But we haven't had too many top ten draft picks uh, and and use them on mids. Um, and I reckon you can see that in Josh that he's got that. It's not even swagger. It's just, it's it's confidence in his, in his ability. He feels like he yeah. belongs. Oh, no, massive, massive self-belief that he can do anything. Yeah. So that's really good. Look, um, uh, Chase, I thought, had a funny game because I thought defensively is quite good, but his disposal was a bit off. Uh, Luke Brown had a quiet game. Not quite time to worry about Luke yet, but almost. Uh, when, they, when they got that run on, um, Brown was the one manning up. Um, the first one, Smith was on the ground. Then he went off on the bench. Then they kicked another, I think, two or three quite quickly. And was Brown was the one who was completely letting his man off the chain. And immediately we made a change, brought Smith on, and just completely swapped Smith with Brown. So I think I think Brown's really got to lift his game 
because he's not the Brown of old. He's not giving us that run out of defence. He's not giving us a kick, and he's letting us down defensively. Uh, I I still think he's car- – I don't think he's ever really recovered from that Achilles, to be honest with you, because yeah. when he has games where the injection seems to work, uh, he is the Brown of old, but he seems to just be lacking a, a yard um, – yeah, at the I, moment, I, I, I just feel like I I just feel like the body's not doing what the mind wants him to do. I, I've got a lot of time for Luke Brown as a as a small defender. He's been excellent for us, and I just feel like he's carrying something. Um, and of course, Rory Sloan, uh, who uh, you know, in in a sad irony, we finally moved Rory into a position, and you know, he was predominantly playing high half forward. But I have a feeling that Nixie just told him to run around because he was in all parts of the ground. He was playing defensively as well as up forward. And and it seemed to free Sloaney up to just play football uh, without the responsibility of being first bloke at the contest. And it was probably the best game I've seen Sloaney play for a while in terms of impact. And it was such a shame under those circumstances to see him do that ACL and... Um, you know, obviously we we send our best wishes to him. Not that he'd be listening, but um, is that the way you guys saw it? Totally, absolutely, totally. And and it was sad, but then when he got hurt, because um, I reckon I I'd said to Mrs. Macker probably about three minutes before that and put the kiss of death on him. Um, how well he was going? That um, it looks like he's been given, been given license just to roam around because he's sometimes in the forward line, sometimes he's in the back lines, and he's. And he was finding the ball, and I thought he was, he was doing a very, very good job. And um, and then sadly, and it was very when you see it in slow motion, it was a very nasty buckle. He knee just buckled yeah, it sideways. A, it was a lateral lateral movement, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was horrible. And um, and you knew just straight away, well, that's him gone for the year. And maybe he's gone for good um, because he won't be. I mean, he obviously out for the rest of this year. With it, how long does it take take to recover from an ACL? Um, Eight to twelve months. Yeah, and uh, and you know he's going to be thirty three in March next year. So, but he does have a year to go on his contract, and uh, maybe he will come back for a game or two. I don't know, but uh, he's really been a good player for us for a very very long time. This year, part of the time has caught up with him uh, as a mid, and finally the coach. Must have listened to our show, and he decided he'd do what we've been suggesting for weeks. And Sloney was doing very well, so I think when he comes back, if he does come back, he'd probably be coming back as a halfback flank. Oh, he was he was doing so well in that last quarter, that start of that last quarter off that half forward line, and just that pressure and everything else he was bringing um, was so. Good, and, and that's what we were talking about last week, you know, either on the wing or on that half-forward line was where he could be really, really helpful for the, the team and it was showing and it was just, it was an absolutely horrible moment um, when it happened. Um, and, yeah, I just hope it all goes well for him. Yeah, and, and the fact he's got a, a year in his contract, um, uh, one of the... In the chat, their surface suggested that make him perhaps in a development coach for next year, and uh, that way he can earn the same money type situation. Um, I think that would be a good way around it, but 
you know, Sloney, I know, is a very determined individual and probably will want to try and make a comeback, but uh, I think that would be a good solution. Oh, well, no, I think the solution for Sloney is that he does his rehab. Yep. I don't think there's any... any. Um... I'm, I'm agreeing with that. And, and, but he may then, and he'll still be on the list, but he may well be playing um, in the sample and uh, being a development coach. No, I think I don't. Th- I don't think he'd bother doing rehab to just do that. Fair enough. Yeah. No, I, no, no. I, you you make the call. You wait and see how it goes, um, and he'll make the call as well because he knows what um, his body can and can't do. But they they'll definitely do what they've done with Duday and the others in that he will, will um, probably do some coaching in the SNFL and and assisting with the SNL side. Um, and and I think that actually really benefits our SNFL team, um, and it has quite well, you know, just to have somebody of his calibre. And he is very much um, somebody who I think coaching will come naturally to. Yeah. But interestingly, he said he doesn't actually want to coach football. He wants to coach tennis. Because oh. he was a tennis player as a youth. He actually he doesn't want to be involved in uh, football coaching. He's he has talked about that. He does say that yes, he will be involved in coaching, but he actually wants to coach tennis and he wants to coach juniors. <laughs> I've never seen that, Nick. I think that's going to be a key element of Sloan's uh, decision making. He's a family oriented person. Um, you know, has expressed um, you know the how much he values spending time with family. Uh, I wouldn't mind betting that he takes a breather from the game for a little while during the early stages of his rehab when he's relatively immobile. And that may well give him a different perspective. You know, he may... I I think one or two things is going to happen. He's either going to get partway through his rehab and decide that he wants to call it or he will make the most of his rehab to get over some other niggles and refresh and come back for another season next year. I don't think Rory Sloan thinks he's finished uh, as a player, and I don't think even had the ACL not occurred, I don't think he's he, he feels like he's finished as a player. I think that's why it took so long to get in, get us to you know crowbar him out of the bloody midfield rotations. So, well, I think that that's correct. Oh, I think all that all, all that. That's obviously why it has taken so long. And it, and it did take a conversation with the coach and him privately to get that in into his head that he, he's no longer a midfielder. Yeah. Yeah. So I, unless his rehab doesn't go so well and he gets halfway through it and thinks, you know, I'm enjoying the family time, I'm going to call it quits, I think he'll attack it and uh, make himself available next season. But we wish him all the best regardless because no one wants that uh, for any player, let alone your captain. Interesting uh, um, quandary then. Um, Duday or Smith to captain for the rest of the year? Or left field, Tex Walker? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And uh, Tex to me would be the obvious choice, but I think they won't because of the um, situation that he had last year. Um, they, you know, bring out stupid comments that this is how they reward a racist. So I, I think that probably it'd be Duday or Smith, and um, they say that Duday's a future captain. I, 
Um, if he is going to be the future captain, well, then it should be him. But I, I, I rather like the idea of Smith because I think that he's been, I think he does organise a lot in the back line. So, um, yeah, I like Smith. Nick, who do you reckon? I think Smith. Um, just the, the way he did it against Port, I think they'll want somebody who's that little bit more senior um, still at the moment. And the way Duda's playing, it, um, he probably just still needs a little bit more freedom to to get himself right. And I, th- I think Smith um, very much is the, the one in waiting right now. I like Firewalker's call about lead. <clears throat> uh, the worry I have about Smith is exactly what Firewalker said, that um, I, I think our next captain needs to be the captain for the next five or six years of the club. Um, because that's how long it's going to take us to get back into real contention. And I don't know whether Smithers will be around for that amount of time. Um, Laird certainly will be. Um, has Rory got the leadership skills? I think so. Um, he certainly will last that long. He's only bloody 27. Um, there's a certain personality type too, though. Now, I'm not sure that Laird is that type. Um I mean, well, Brody's a joker. So, what are you talking about? Brody's it, a class well, clown down there. He's a class clown when he needs to be the class clown. Yeah, but he also can be very, very serious when it's necessary as well. So, yeah. Um, look, Led, I've got no problem with Lady. Lady is very, very quiet, seemingly to us. Whether he's that in the club, I don't know. But, you know, if he's got the personality, it, it certainly would be a good choice because um, you know that he's a 100% man and, and uh, never does anything but uh, gives his best. Um, but, yeah, and, and somebody says in the chat, Tex used to clown around too when he was captain. Yeah, and he wasn't so, a good captain. Well, I, I thought he was okay. Anyhow. Uh, the punch on with oh, people in the, in the change rooms. Anyway. Your choice is that. So your choice is Laird? No, my choice isn't Laird. My choice, uh, I'm just saying that Laird, don't count Laird out. And to get a get a view on Laird's um, personality, go back and listen to the player interview with it, we did with him last season. Uh, I think you get a different perspective. I don't so think he'd be a bad you... choice. I don't think Laird would be a bad choice. I, I would go with Tom today. Well, if he's going to be, the, if they do think that he's going to be the future captain, then probably that makes sense. Yeah, we'll see. Page of Motion, another good one. Geordie Dawson probably hasn't been around at the club long enough. Um, but, uh, you know, had he been around for maybe a season or two, he'd certainly be up there. Um, and poor old Billy probably makes a good call that it's going to be an acting captain this year. So maybe maybe we're jump, jumping the gun in terms of trying to pick who the long-term next captain will be. And maybe... By that stage, Geordie Dawson can be in the conversation. Well, he would certainly be yeah, a good, good skipper. I mean, I was only talking about it as an acting captain for the rest of the year, and that's why I think Smith, to me, mm. is the obvious choice um, for that. And if he's not playing, then to me it's highly likely that Duday is that, that next one up. Yep. Alrighty, that just about sums that up. Uh, we've got a few minutes. Uh, if anyone wants to have a chat, um, feel free to jump in. But in the meantime, Nikki. Yay! 
It's Nicky's cockwomble. Who you got for us, Nick? Um, so I did ask uh, other people for some suggestions. Um, my kind of main nomination was I, I think uh, Port gave us quite a few nice laughs. Um, and also Kenny still thinking that they can make finals was quite amusing. Um, the others that uh, most people that uh, nominated suggested a certain Tom Hawkins for his nice little dive and I think going on and watching it, it's just like, how the hell does he keep getting away with that from the umpires? Oh, that's it. Is that well, all? Well, they, they were the they were the two they were t- they were the two uh, main ones. But I th- I think Port. Well, hang on. There's they, more. There's. there's well, who else? Haven't asked us yet. Okay, Mac. Have you got any? Um, mine's actually a retrospective one. Uh, and if you look at, there's a picture that's been circulating around when we got beaten uh, in a showdown by, and Kenny was so excited that he put a zero up on one hand. <laughs> on yes. And that's been circulating all week. And so to me, Kenny gets a retrospective cockwomble. I, I would have thought it would have been a perpetual cockwomble, to be honest with you. We could all, we could almost call it the Kenny Hinkley cockwombling nut nut of the week award. Uh, I've yep. got one, uh, Nathan Brown, who was stupid enough, stupid enough, the moment Ollie Wines uh, uh, was reported to have heart problems, Nathan Brown comes on national television and tries to make a, a thing about COVID boosters, um, even yeah. though there'd be there was no connection to it at all. Damien Barrett hopped in, Matthew Lloyd hopped in, they all all this conspiracy theory bullshit, which was completely not true. They never checked facts, they never checked in with Ollie. They didn't wait to get a, any sort of clue from the club. They just started spinning around, you know, um, uh, adverse uh, reactions to COVID boosters. And Nathan Brown is struggling to be relevant anyway because the only thing he's good at is reading odds out from a bloody teleprompter. Um, and, uh, yeah, he certainly made himself look like a cock-wobbling numbnut, that's for sure. I think I've got a bit, even better one, and uh, it's Caro. When uh, he classified uh, last week that she had a real go at Rowie and it said it was about time he stopped this South Australian uh, eccentric bias. And I think... <laughs> Coming from the most uh, most Vic centric buddy uh, uh, show whatsoever, uh, but yeah, she she had a, she called him out and said it was sick and tired of him being so uh, South Australian biased, and it's time for him to stop it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, uh, maybe it was me and Pete that spoke about that last week. But you're right, Mac. It was the height of hypocrisy. Caro coming out with that it was like, are you serious? Yeah. Talking about bloody bias. God damn. The other look. The other one is, well, there's a couple of umpiring ones at the moment. Um, the first one is the inconsistency around standing on the mark, and we saw an example of that uh, against Richmond, oh. uh, where Benny Keys was watching someone dance on the mark, uh, and the umpire just was oblivious to it. Oh, uh, not believe that. Not oh, I know that one was just like, what the hell? It was just and. I'm surprised Benny didn't get a, a 50 paid against him and the ball turned over the way they've been uh, administering the um, umpire's respect rule uh, 
so arbitrarily over the last week. It, it it came in with a bang at the beginning of the season and then it kind of went away and slow and this is this is what happens with you know do you know what this is? This is a, a, a very good example of what happens with football umpiring. They bring in a rule and they enforce it to within an inch of its life for the first little while and then, you know, they just, oh, you know, that's not so bad. And, you know, there's degrees of it and the degree, and all of a sudden it's a, it's a mess, right? And here we are now with this bloody uh, abusing the umpire thing. They, they cracked down, down on it at the beginning of the season. And then, you know, all of a sudden you saw a little bit of back chat and a little bit of hands in the air and the umpires didn't do anything about it. And then it's kind of come back this week, but only depending on which umpire you are and which game you are, and which team you want to win. Um, and it's... What's going on? I know, I, I agree with you. And I think they really have to sit down and define it, because, uh, you know, footballers are human. They, they're giving every little bit that they can. And when you're in that heated situation and something goes against you, you know, having been in that situation, you just you just react, and you, you're not really. I mean, if I did get reported for for calling up by a fucking cheat, but that was different. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yet sometimes you just say, "Oh bullshit," or something like that, because um, it's just an emotional game. Because you you know, if, you, if you're giving a hundred percent. There'll be a, an emotional reaction, if, you know, if it's a 50-50 type situation. And um, some of the things that I saw 50 metres given for where the player said, but I tried to get rid of the ball or something like that in the 50 metres because they, they called that uh, umpire disrespect. Rubbish. I, I, don't, I don't... Look, I think the biggest issue for mine is that it's just, again, it's now, again, something that's open to interpretation. And it's a, it's a... It's a real study in what's wrong with the way that the AFL laws are implemented because I don't know whether it's a Victorian trait or something, but they just seem to want to go, oh, you know, we don't we don't want to be soft, so we'll let a little bit go. Well, you know, it, it's got to be obvious. You you know, you, it, if you've got a rule, umpire the rule. Just umpire the bloody rule. If players aren't allowed to remonstrate with the umpire or talk to the umpire about decisions or whether you agree with it or not, umpire the goddamn rule so that everybody knows what's going on. It's the same with the holding the ball rule. They were going to crack down on holding the ball and incorrect disposal and you know prior opportunity. How many times did blokes get turned 360 on the weekend without getting pinged for holding the ball? Everything seems to have this gradual creep of um you know i would just let it let a little bit go rather than them just implementing a rule and then adjudicating on that rule it drives me crazy and this this latest one is is just a a prime example of that problem in my opinion yep i agree and i I do think they've really just got to uh iron, iron it out in what is you know what is acceptable and what's not acceptable because you can't accept them uh, it's not a sterile situation; it's a heated situation. So, what what reaction is okay? I mean, um, throwing your arms out or 
for God's sake, or something like that. That's not. That's nothing. That's just rea- physical reaction. It's not even really aimed at the umpire. It's just the point that, that they just really pissed off about the situation as it was at that stage. Um, if they if they did what I did, you know, and actually personally say something at the umpire, I can understand that. But you know, if it's just a uh, a body reaction to a situation, then just leave it. Remember back in the day, Macca, one of the best umpiring traits that you could have is an umpire that um, understood the flow of the game, had a little bit of back and forth with a player, and the like, you know, KG Cunningham was a classic uh, with regards to that, and there are a few others that were like that. And the game flowed, and this is back in the day where there's only one umpire, of course, the, the game flowed and all the rest of it. I don't think you can expect footballers in the heat of battle. It, like particularly in, or at any stage during any game, to be robots. They've, like you said, it's an emotional game. It's an emotional sport. I, I think the line should be dissent, right? That's the word, isn't it? Dissent. So yep. you can question something without being dissenting. You know, yes. you, can, you can say, why did you pay that free? That's not dissenting. That's asking a genuine question. And, you know, given some of the frees that are played paid for blocking and rut contests and all the bloody rest of it, it's a fair question to go, why did you pay it? Because it's not obvious, you know? So, but calling, uh, you know, an umpire an idiot, well, that's dissent. It's a free. But I, yep. the, the biggest problem that I've got with it, Mac, and this is kind of wandering away from Cop Wumble a bit, I think certain umpires use it vindictively. I think, I think certain, they do too. I think certain umpires have it within their personality to use it vindictively, and that's dangerous. You're giving, you're giving umpire, you're weaponizing umpiring in in that situation because it's so subjective, so subjective that an umpire that's got the shits on with a certain player or a certain team or whatever will weaponize it and use it at an inopportune moment, and that nearly happened to to Hawthorne today. Don't agree with that, thing. Anyway, Nick, we just hijacked uh, the cop Womble, so you better straighten us up. <laughs> um, no, I'll, I won't mention names, but on that umpiring issues, there was uh, South Australian umpire was one of the best, was pretty much the, the best umpire in the state, was elevated to the AFL level when it was still very Victorian controlled, um, was somebody who would talk if the player um, abused them, he would write back at them. It was often much better at the player in dishing it out backwards. And, of course, a certain Victorian team, player didn't like the decision made, had a go at this particular umpire. Umpire had a go back. Um, And the team then complained to the AFL about how rude that umpire was to their poor player. And so that umpire got demoted. So what's the moral of the story? <laughs> oh, it, it's just I find it ridiculous that how they've gone. Um, I, I agree with you entirely that it's being weaponized by certain ones. I don't mind if there is something about dissent that, you know, if it is, it, if it does cross the line because you're not allowed to do that talk back um, anymore. It used to get sorted out, you know, the heat of the moment. 
um, as Maka um, described it. It it is. Um, it's exactly like that. I'm I've umpired the game and I've played the game and I'm and I'm yeah. <laughs> I've probably said some things I shouldn't have said on the field in, in both respects. And um, it's I I think they should definitely go towards like it is in the SNFL, which is. If you do dissent, the 25-metre penalty, bring that in um, to stop it out. But you're right that it does need to be sorted out. And it's very interesting how some very senior players, um, ex-senior players and commentators, um, are very, very against this rule and say it needs to be clarified. And the players themselves, where they've um, talked to them, they said, we've got no idea. We're, We're utterly confused about what we can and can't do as a player. Well, you, um, just, so you just need consistency. But uh, yeah. straightening us up, Nikki, because think- it's nearly two hours, 15 minutes, uh, who's <laughs> our cop wumble of the week? I think it's got to go to Kenny because the the whole, it's just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, there's some great memes going around. It was very um, hilarious with what's happened and and that's uh, the whole thing with the cock wumble. And, Right. Yeah, you know, and we we like seeing Port down below us. Very good. At the bottom, the ladder's even better. Very good. Well, the reason we've gone on so long tonight is because we're not having a Tuesday night live tomorrow night. Um, it uh, doesn't seem reasonable to have two live streams consecutive nights. Uh, so uh, we have discussed a little bit more broadly than we otherwise would some of the topics that Pete and I would normally discuss on a Tuesday night. Uh, but I think it's time to wrap this one up. Uh, thanks to everyone who's joined us on Discord and on YouTube. Um, on, most... The best mm-hmm. player. Oh, best five, players. Four, we better do that one. We better do the best players. Uh, you give yours first just... today, Nick. Please. Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Oh. All right. So the best players, uh, Mac, go ahead. Well, I was going to get you to first and copy you. Well, um, well, well the, good thing is, <laughs> the good thing is that it's my show, so you don't get to tell me what to do. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I tried. <laughs> the, impo- the impossible dream. Just um, give me the goddamn players' names. <laughs> well, well, actually, there were a few competing for it, but I think uh, my first two, I go five to Walker and four to Keys, and I have no... And three to Smith, and I have no hesitation in putting him in that order. After that, there was a bit of a lottery with uh, players like McAdam and Laird and Himmelberg. Um, but I gave two votes to Dawson, and probably unpopularly, but I gave one vote to Butt because I thought after the first couple of goals against him, he just tightened up, and I thought he was very, very, very brave and very, very good in when, the, when it really counted in the last quarter, and uh, so I gave him one. Very good. My turn. Might as well be. <laughs> so I exactly the same as Becca with text with five, keys with four. Um, then I put Rochelle at three. I just thought what he did in that last half, particularly the last quarter, just really helped get us over the line. Um, and then I did two for Smith and one for Laird. Honourable mentions to Himmelberg. Yeah, he, he does get a Hang on, say that again. Walker, Keys, Rochelle. Smith, Laird. Smith, Laird. Sorry, go on. Now you, Fane. 
Right, well, I gave uh, five to Benny Keys. thought some of his efforts were uh, game-winning in a game where hard work was the order of the day. I gave four to yep. Tex uh, because yep. uh, it just controlled the forward line and really gave us an avenue. Um, I gave three to Geordie, uh, two to Rory Laird, and one to Elliot Himmelberg. For my three. Um, oh, you didn't give a vote to Smith at all? No, I couldn't fit him in. Fair enough. Sorry, mate. Yep. So let me just uh, tally that up real quick, and we can even give you the um, give you the running totals. Just, just keep talking amongst yourselves, you two. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know, when I'm looking at it, Nikki, yeah, I... I... I thought McCadam no. uh, just didn't, he was good, but not quite good, good enough to get a vote. Um, probably a bit harsh not giving Laird a vote, um, but I wanted to give vote a but one because of the fact that I just thought that he did, did some real game-saving stuff at the end. And uh, Hillberg, I thought he was close to getting a vote as well. So apologies to those folks, but you could only put five in. Yeah. So, you, so you put the five in that you think. And and what we talked about it, you know, the very start when we started discussing the game was that it was such an not an even, but it was a team performance. So that there were, um, you know, all there was so many that you could fit in there. So the way I looked at it was the ones who I thought were really instrumental in the win in the end. That the one, and I think the facts, you know, the, the first two were undisputed. The best two. And they could have gone either way as to whether you had them one or uh, one or two. And I think the you know those last three positions, I don't have a problem with like you guys putting Dawson in there because I I was like, well, yeah, he he could have as well. But I kind of looked at it, you know, with what Rochelle did as a as a younger player. I mean, Dawson is as well, but he just really got us that win. Um, and. So- so the the uh, the standings after five rounds we have been for the casters votes we have Benny Keys on fifty three miles in front Dawson on thirty eight Rochelle on thirty which is an excellent effort for a five gamer Laird twenty two Tex twenty one out, out of two games uh, Smith on nineteen and then Rose Shoal, Himmelberg and a few others now I did collate the listeners votes that had been dropped in the chat. Um, and you can still drop them in if you want to, um, but this is as at uh, just before the cast. Dawson yep. leading on 57, Keys on 49, Rochelle on 47, Tex on 41, Himmelberg on 31, Laird on 22. So, you know, the same players are involved for both for both um, for both. Um, um, uh, sorry, both uh, uh, yeah, both talents. The interesting thing is that uh, there's probably about eight or nine players that were you could consider for the five spots, and uh, if you go through our three and the listeners' uh, five, uh, five votes as well, mm. uh, uh, nearly all of them got mentioned. Probably about eight different players probably got that's mentioned. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that's us done. Thank you, everyone, for sticking to us for uh, two hours, 20 minutes. Uh, great stuff, everyone. Have a... 
Uh, great rest of the evening. Uh, enjoy your weeks. Uh, we got the Bulldogs in Ballarat next week, and we will be back next Sunday night to wrap it all up on the weekend wrap. Until then, stay safe and good night, everyone. Night, yeah, night all. Night all.